Take your Bible, if you would, please, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 16, in your Bible, the book of Acts. It's a good book. I love this old black book called the Bible. Now, we have uh, some uh, missions booklets. If you'd like to pick one up afterward, it tells about all the missionaries that's going to be with us, their testimony, the field they're going to, and some needs they might have. And so... Uh, if you'd like to pick one of those up, you can, and I would appreciate it so very much if you prayed for our missions program. I don't know. I think we're up close to 100 missionaries now. We support each month uh, around the world, and maybe we can give them a raise this year. Who knows? That wouldn't make them mad, I'm sure, all except the evangelists that's on staff. They do not need raises. They need to kick in the kitty every once in a while. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm just glad that every once in a while our evangelists will come to church, you know. And just, but it's, you see him last Wednesday night, he got up and walked out before I said one word. He said, I knew you hadn't studied, so I was going to go home. Good to have Dr. House here, good to have Lanny Ashcraft here today. Uh, we just got folks here from all over the country. I'd like to read you a story out of the Word of God. And it is not just a story. It is not a parable. It is not just good literature. It's a fact, Jack. It really, really happened. Missions is not something that we Baptists have dreamed up and a good way to pluck our people from their money. It is a divine institution by Almighty God. Our church is not a mission-minded church. Missions is our mission. Get in the gospel, not bread, not water, not gasoline, the gospel to every creature. Now the other things are fine and okay. But our command and our commission by Almighty God is to take the gospel into all the world and preach it to every creature. Amen. So I want to talk to you today about maybe a little bit of missionary revival, if that would be all right. I would like to begin, if you would please, in chapter number 15. And I would like to just read verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where I have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Paul and Silas is going to go on a second missionary trip just checking establishing, encouraging, uplifting, and building up churches that they had started previously on the first missionary journey. Verse number 40, And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria, there on, in the news quite regular now, and he went through Syria 
and Cilicia confirming the churches. Then, verse number one, then came he to Derby and Lystria, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman. But his father was a Greek. Now notice, if you would please, and there's a lot of places that they visited down through there, throughout uh, Asia and so forth and so on. Now in verse number 12, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of the part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in the city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If we be judged, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divation met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men do these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Drew, not asked, not pushed along, drug, drew. And brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. You know, them Jews, they've been troubling cities ever since Abraham. You notice that, don't you? And they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. What have they done? Preach the gospel. They've not raped anybody's women. Not protested because they want equal rights. Just spoke the good news that Jesus said. And they've been drug into the marketplace, stripped of the raiment, embarrassed, mocked, and beaten. For what? Preaching the gospel. 
And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust, didn't lead, didn't ask, thrust them into the inner prison, not just a cell, maximum security for what? Murder, rape, fraud, preaching the gospel. We sure got it tough, don't we? Could I have a holy grunt? I guess we just ought to quit because it's a tough on us. Thrust and made their feet fast in stocks. Huge boards with holes cut in the board spread to an extent to where it was absolutely painful beyond imagination as they sat there with their feet in stocks, bloody, beaten, and misunderstood. We ought to go home and quit. We've got it so tough. I'll bet you they didn't park their cruise control vehicle in the parking lot while they were incarcerated. What would be our attitude if that happened to us? All I hear lately is Obama this and Obama that, Obama this and Obama that. I don't care who's president. You've got it made. I got it made. It's still a great country. And I'd rather be in this country with Obama the president, as in Paul and Silas situation, with George Bush president. Now, you didn't like that, but I don't remember asking you whether you liked it or not. Verse 25. And at midnight, being Baptists as they were, their first phone call was to their attorney. And they made sure that they had the arrangements for the bond so that they could get out of this terrible situation that they undeservingly are in. I don't think this crowd would have quit the first time somebody said something from the pulpit they didn't like. Now, I don't think this crowd would have missed a stewardship meeting because we was having given it all Sunday. Somehow or another, somehow or another, these two Baptist preachers, you said, don't say they're Baptist. Come to my office and we'll do a Bible study if you'd like. Somehow or another, bloody, beaten, misunderstood, harassed, drugged, thrust into the deeper part of a dark, damp, dirty hole in the ground they call a prison. Somehow or another, these guys with lacerated, bleeding backs at midnight at the darkest hour of their life somehow managed to sing and praise God at midnight.
No, we need revival. I can imagine the phone calls I would get at my house if this happened to some of us. <laughs> preacher, you, you just don't understand. Now, preacher, I, it wasn't my fault. Hey, this wasn't Paul and Silas's fault. But there might be an ending to the story. And the Bible said, and suddenly, or notice, and the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. My soul, after all they've gone through, now comes an earthquake. I'd hate to be in a hole in the ground and the earth start shaking. Me with my feet in stalks and could not exit the place. And all of a sudden, the jail in which they were incarcerated began to shake and tremble. That's where Elvis got his song, Jailhouse Rock. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, waking out of the sleep, Seeing the prison door open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Don't take a Baptist preacher along, get in charge. He's answering for everybody in the jailhouse, including the jailers and everybody, the warden. Then he called for a light sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and said, let's have a party. We're saved. And he said, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Saved. Say that with me just one time, all together on three. One, two, say. Let me say it again. On three. One, two, say. Now let's try another one. Lost. One, two. Let's do the save again. One, two. Notice how the spirit's different in that bit? Let's try the other one. One, two, lost. Lost. Hey! That's the best theological lesson you've had in a long time. It's just a lot better to be saved than to be lost. Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. That ain't the way it happens. Verse 31. And they said unto him, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be, what? Saved. I wonder where that heathen jailer heard the word saved. 
what in the world ever brought him to be acquainted with a term like being saved? I wonder where we work, and I wonder where our family goes, if maybe we have acquainted any of our acquaintances with a word called saved. I wonder if our family really knows what it means to be saved. I wonder if most of our church even knows what it means to be saved. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all of his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God. Just a few hours ago, had a sword to his throat and going to commit suicide. And all of a sudden, there's been a change. A tremendous, noticeable, eternal, life-giving change. He's moved from lust to being saved. He's moved from the milligrams to shout and growl. Saved. I wonder right now, do we look like we're saved? I wonder if somebody can turn and look at us and recognize that we've been saved. Just trying to help you a little bit along the theological road of your life. I'd like to talk to you for just a little while concerning missions 101. Now, English 101, I got very familiar with that. Every college that I ever entered, I had to take English 101 or English 21. And for some folks who do not know the numerical scale of how stupid I was, it's dumbbell English. Until I started to seminary and I already had almost my degree earned and I was an accomplished engine technician. I had many years of engine technology. And when they put on your transcript your engine technology, they just write E-N-G. I must have had 150 hours of I-N-G, E-N-G. The register called me and says, Brother Wolfenbarger, you will not have to take the test in English. It looks like you should be teaching. I said, yes, ma'am, I've taught a lot of folks correct English. And then I got saved and had to go back and take dumbbell English again. Missions 101. What is missions all about? Missions is about going where people are. Missions is not church buildings. Missions is just finding somebody 
breathing. And that is a prime prospect for the gospel. And Paul and Silas is in the mission business. And they're just going everywhere they can to preach the gospel to everybody they can. No buildings to meet in and every home a pulpit. Every backyard a Sunday school class and every opportunity to share the gospel. And the Bible said that they just went everywhere preaching the gospel. And daily in the temple and from house to house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad of that? And the Bible describes the gospel as the power of God unto salvation. Imagine, if you would please, two Jewish evangelists or missionaries going everywhere, speaking to everybody about the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. And as they begin to preach, the gospel of God begin to explode into the communities and the faces of folk that they talk to. In verse number 14, they went down to the riverside, and there a wealthy lady, the seller of purple from Thyatira, attended to the things that they spoke and got opened her heart, and she got gloriously saved, born again. They talk, take off to the marketplace and another damsel begins to chase them and begins to mock them and begins to ridicule them and begin to prophesy and proclaim that these are the men of God and they've come to proclaim to us salvation. And Paul got tired of that, turned around, rebuked the devil, and the devil came out of her. Fellows, we'll have one of those services tonight if you'd like to bring your wife. Well, I'm afraid I'd reverse the charges and kill you. But everywhere these guys had gone, the gospel had begun to explode. People began to get saved. And the devil's crowd, every time you start to have a revival, the rats will come out of the woodwork. You put her down, you cannot even put up that you're going to have a revival without the rats come out of the woodwork. Good rats, bad rats, sore rats, little rats, big rats, little rats, just rats come out. They're problems. Yeah. Can you imagine anybody misunderstanding anything I've ever done? Revival will always shake things Revival will always agitate some people in some areas. Some pray and some get it right. Some don't pray and they stay wrong. They kind of resemble a toad frog with a hand grenade in their hand, walking around all puffed up mad at everybody in the world. In actuality, they're mad at themselves because they're not right with God. And you start preaching the gospel and sure the world, all of that will take place. Notice verse 22 and 23, if you would please. And the multitude rose up, rose up to gather against them. And the magistrates rent their clothes and commanded to beat them. 
And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, what have they done to deserve that? There was probably good people involved in that. It's just some, some busybody, maybe somebody, wanted to aggravate and agitate. And so, uh, you, you just imagine, every time the gospel begins to explode, people begin to get saved, the waters of the baptistry begin to get troubled, you think the devil's going to be silent? What I must do is not allow the devil to use me. I didn't say anything about you. I said, I must not allow the devil to use me. Besides that, I paid for ginger karate classes. And it's just not safe to act the fool around the house anymore. Of course, she didn't need karate classes. She knew crowbar. Verse 20 and 21, notice, falsely accused. Falsely accused. And he brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Teach customs that are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Falsely accused. Notice, if you would please, the racist charge, verse 2. I mean, verse 20. The racist charge. Have you heard anything about racism in America lately? Why, it's all over. We've elected a black president. There's no racism in America anymore. We're in good shape. But they had a racist problem here. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Look at verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men being what? Racist. Racist. They eat different. They dress different. Got a beanie on their head where they used to have hair. These guys are weird. So let's beat them up, throw them into prison and cut their heads off for being different. Falsely accused. One religion says they need to annihilate every Jew on the earth. Our country is going the wrong direction concerning the Jews. We must read Genesis chapter number 12 again. Because God said, those that bless the Jew, I will bless. And those that curse the Jew, I will curse. They were accused of being racist. And dear Lord, we got more to do than worry about being racist. Well, I, I just don't want certain people around me. Charge him enough for the property so he can move over by me. Be almost like heaven if you live next door to me. You're welcome. <laughs> that hurt you as much as it did me. We're both sick. The racist charge. Notice the riot charge. 
do exceedingly trouble our city. By the way, isn't that what a church is supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to make the devil scratch? Aren't we supposed, bless God, to at least be the salt of the earth and uh, the light of the world? Hey, look, these guys are just doing what God told them to do. And the community is all up in a roar. Falsely accused, the racist, the riot. Notice the religious charge. Verse 21, why, we're Romans. We have all kinds of gods. And here they're talking about a creator God. They're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Why, they're troubling our city. We need to do something about it. Falsely accused. Verse 19 is the real problem, though. Verse 19 is the real problem. It's not about religion. It's not about riot. It's not about race. And by the way, when you get to Washington, and you see all these Jesse Jackson Juniors and Leroy the Fred, it won't be about race either. Here's what it'll be about. Verse 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains were gone. Anybody been prosecuted in Dallas for fraud lately in the city council? Anybody proven that they haven't paid their income tax sitting in Washington, D.C. in the Senate or the House lately? It's not about race. It's not about riot. It's not about religion. It'll always be about money. And these folks are put out and they are mad and they're going to get these preachers out of town because they're preaching on honesty and integrity and godliness and we don't want that. We want the soothsayer to create more cash flow to throw into our coffers. The answer is in Proverbs 14, 14. The backslider in heart is filled with their own way. But a good man is satisfied from himself. <laughs> it hasn't changed much. You preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit of God starts doing something. And you'll see all kinds of little situations. Thank God we have a church as such. Before we go on warpath, we know how to pray. Seek the face of God. And if any people in the world should be able to fix a problem, it ought to be us. We don't need to fuss and fight. We need to pray. Humble ourselves. Seek his face and turn, turn. Then he said he'd hear from heaven and heal our land. Just because I got a doctor's degree don't mean I'm any better than you. It just means... My daddy said one more curl and a pig's tail didn't make any more pork. Good preaching, ain't it? Can we learn something in five minutes? What's this? In verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas 
prayed and sang praises unto God. Now here's the most important thing. Somebody was listening. Somebody was watching. Somebody was thinking. At midnight, they sang God's praises. Rejoicing in spite of their beating. Verse 23. Rejoicing in spite of their bonds. Verse 24. Rejoicing in spite of the blackness. At midnight, they sang praises unto God. In a deep, dark, damp hole called a prison. No complaining. No calling the bondsman. Just praising God. Now listen, learn something. Not for the situation, but for the God of the situation. Nobody rejoices over a bad situation. You say, well, I'm spiritual, I do. Well, you're a liar, too, as well as being spiritual. Nobody, when they got their nose in the crack of the door, is saying, push it tighter. Nobody with a pit bulldog hanging on their pant legs says, shake them. Nobody sitting on a wobbly milk stool yanking on them two things that's supposed to be given milk and gets switched across the face with a tail that's been drugging everything you can imagine in the barnyard all night said, do it again. They are not singing and praising God because they've been beaten and they are in jail and they are hurt and they are not misunderstood. They are not praising God because of the situation. They are singing and praising God because of who He is and what He's about to do. Thank God for situations. That's when God proves himself to be God. Me and my wife likes to misunderstand one another, evidently. She always misunderstands. I'm on top of it. I know what's going on. I'm going to act like a gracious Christian that I am. And she carries a gun. And that's why I'm gracious. Situations. Hardships, difficulties, the darkness of midnight, the rattling of the jailhouse, the shaking of the earth, the lacerated back, the fever that goes with the pain and the trauma. You don't rejoice about you rejoice in spite of that. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We all strip our, trip our toes. We all fall flat of our face. We all fail on a regular basis. 
And that's why God said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But thank God we've got a God of grace and a God of love and a God of understanding. And Paul and Silas is looking at that sleeping jailer and they're praying and thanking God for what is about to happen. How would you like to see a photo of the, that jailer's face when God with the arm of omnipotence reached down through infinity and grabbed the hold of the top of that jailhouse and began to shake it, man. Shake it, baby. Shake it. <laughs> Probably look like some of you looking right now said the preacher's going to give himself a heart attack. They are singing and praising God. Not for what has happened. Not for what is happening. But what God can really make happen. What a great, big, wonderful God we serve. Oh, yes. I see, first of all, the singing of God's praises. Footnote. That's our job. Our job is when it's darkest, we can still muster a smile because somebody's looking and trying to find Jesus in our life. When everybody else misunderstands, somebody's looking. And it's our job to be Christ-like and humble and full of joy. That's our job. It's our job to sing when there's nothing to sing about. Pray when there's nothing to pray about. And rejoice in the Lord, I say, again I say, rejoice. Man, I tell you, if everything in my life goes south today, I thank God I have spent a long time in the north. <laughs> Amen. Good looking as I've been all these years. Humble. Experience the blessings of God. Well, if I should complain about anything, God ought to give me lockjaw for the rest of my life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. At midnight. The darkest part of their life. When nobody else understood, they sang praises unto God. That's our part. Well, we'll not get to God's part, evidently, because we've done run out of part time. Verse 26. The shaking of the prison. We've looked at the singing of the praise, but the shaking of the prison. Listen to me. That's God's part. You can't shake the prison. You may occupy it, but you can't shake it. I went to see a little boy that came on our buses several years ago, and I visited with him downtown Fort Worth. A little smart-mouthed brat he was. Had it all figured out. Sitting there with his head bird, looked like he'd, looked like he'd been stuck in a corn grinder, and... 
smart mouth had it all figured out. And I said, well, son, i got to go. Probably they're going to incarcerate you the rest of your life for being a habitual criminal plus an habitual idiot. And I said, watch me do something that even somebody as smart as you cannot do. He said, what's that? I said, leave. God's job to fix a situation. Not your job. Not my job. My job is just to occupy till it comes. Have the right attitude and the right song on our lips. Not for what he has done, not for what he is doing, but for what he's about to do. <laughs> and I can see Paul saying, Silas, would you pray I don't want to close my eyes. I want to watch this. Yeah. Standing on the promises, Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. <laughs> well, Silas, how would you like to sing and, or pray and I'll sing? Wonder which one of it's going Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Vax lacerated, bleeding, hurting beyond tears, misunderstood, that saved. A wretch like me, I once was lost, <laughs> now I'm found, was blind, but now I see God the Father looked over at Jesus said, I can't let this go unknown. Down through the arms of time, the omnipotent hand of deity grabbed hold of that jailhouse. And he said, world, I want to show you something. And he shook that jailhouse. Every door in the place fell. That's God's job. Best thing we can do is stay out of God's business. And if we'll take care of ours right, God will always take care of his. Sure wish I had time to finish this, but I guess I better quit because I'm getting hungry. The searching for God's peace. And he sprang in trembling and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? With a sword in his hand, going to take his own life this year in America 38,000 people will commit suicide one of the highest rates of suicide are white male adults over 85 why did this man spring in 
with a sword in his hand and going to take his own life. He's scared. He's afraid. He's a failure. And how many of us gets in the mully grub so bad sometimes that we just look like that's the only way to end it. The major cause of death in young people from 15 to 25 is suicide. I got good news for you. Jesus is the answer. He is the cure for whatever is wrong with us. Whatever is wrong with our church, he's the cure. Whatever is wrong with your kid, he's the answer. Whatever habit, addiction we may have, he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. The sharing of God's promise, verse 31. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know that one sitting right by you, right there by you, sitting right next to you, could be eternally lost. Emotionally, they may be wound up and going every direction at one time. Dependent on alcohol, drugs, illicit sex, just to get them through the day, just to cope. Well, when they dive to the bottom of their sex and their dope and their alcohol and come up empty, the next thing is a gun and getting out of it all when we've got the answer. We really have the answer. Paul said, sir, do yourself no harm. We're all here. I just thought that would be a good point to throw in there just in case you want to go home with it. The sharing of God's promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And don't miss this, and thy house. You know, uh, 49 years ago, I took that promise literal. Now, I, I didn't think this was an allegory. I, I didn't think this was a, a, just a parable or a story. God said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, notice and thy house. I believe that. Is your house needing a little revival? Be ashamed to make a million bucks and lose your kids. Be ashamed, bless your heart. Drive your kids away. Sharing God's promise. What's this? I'm done.
is the greatest thing you'll ever see. Listen to this. The saving of sin's prisoner. The jailer is locked in the dungeon of sin. Paul and Silas is locked in the dungeon of dirt. But here is a man that is locked, held captive, if you please, in the prison of sin. What's a shame is a lot of Christians still locked in that crazy prison of sin. Hmm? The Bible said that the man believed on the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized, identified with the Lord Jesus, and raised his family to the glory of God. Why do we send missionaries around the world to do just exactly what I've told you today? Chief Justice Marshall said years ago, if more preachers had a book more like preachers than morticians, I would probably not have been a judge, but I would have been a preacher. If more Christians resembled our Lord, our families may enjoy it a lot more. In your midnight, what are you doing? Singing or complaining, praising or prancing, 